This episode of the Unbuild It podcast is brought to you by Huber Engineered Woods. When we uh, when we talk about Huber Engineered Woods, you know we say they make Advantech, we say they make uh, Zip System, and, you know they have uh, liquid flash and subfloor glue and tape. And I think that most of our listeners are fairly familiar with their product lines. They make really high quality stuff that makes our job easier. But I also wanted to let you know that they have a couple of new products on the market that they just announced at IBSX uh, for 2021. They have Advantech X Factor uh, and they have a new uh, vapor permeable tape. Uh, and I think that those things are very important because uh, they go to show what Huber Engineer Woods is really about. They're innovating and they're problem solving before even builders like myself have asked for those things. That process of innovation has kept them at the top of the game, at the top of the pile, and that process of innovation has caused uh, builders like myself who are focused on durability and energy efficiency and really doing things the right way the first time to believe in them as a company and to use their products. Uh, we've been using uh, their original Advantech formula since uh, the late 90s as a company and we've been using this Zip System since uh, 2013. So I think that that proves to you my belief in the company. I hope that you'll look into Huber Engineered Woods uh, and thanks for sponsoring the podcast. Let's talk construction management software and what makes a software good. First, I'd say the ability to tackle the tasks that I need it to do, but more importantly, the ability for my team to comprehend the software, my clients to comprehend the software, and everybody involved to actually want to use that software or that interface. BuildBook could be that software for you. BuildBook is simple to learn and use. It allows for constant communication between you, your team members, and your clients. It doesn't waste time with unneeded features, and you won't have to send your team across country to learn how to operate it efficiently. At the end of the day, BuildBook should reduce your stress and your team's stress as well. BuildBook is an all-in-one construction software for today's builders. Whether you're a one-person operation or a large building crew, BuildBook has plans to fit your budget. They don't have any of those nagging sales calls or tricky upsells or hidden fees. You can sign up for a 10-day free trial with BuildBook so that they can teach you and show you what, what the value is of their product. You should head over to buildbook.co to get started. Don't forget to mention that you heard it from us, the Unbuilded Podcast. That's buildbook.co. Thank you, Buildbook, for your sponsorship. Welcome to the Unbuilded Podcast. Today, we are going to talk about radiation or radon or the second biggest uh, cause of lung cancer in the United States, which uh -oh. is something we as builders and designers and consultants and homeowners and occupants of buildings should probably be concerned with. Uh, I wanted to say welcome. I'm Jake Bruton, and I'm going to let Peter Yost say good morning. Good morning, Jake. This is Peter. <laughs> I'm going to turn it over to Steve. Yeah, Steve hello, everybody. Too. He's so excited. <laughs> so this... Uh, this conversation uh, on radon, I think, uh, best starts with kind of like a, a definition. Um, so radon is a radioactive gas that is naturally occurring caused by decomposing stuff in the ground. And the reason it isn't a problem outside is because it mixes with so much other stuff before we breathe it that it gets diluted, but the reason it can be a problem inside is because it can grow to concentrated levels. Uh, and it's measured in the same way that they measure radiation, which I didn't know until I started researching the topic so that I'd be more informed for this podcast. I won't <laughs> pretend to be overly educated on the topic prior to my decide prior to us deciding to record this. Uh, 
but I had forgotten that the EPA has a radiation calculator on their website. Have you guys ever played with this? There's a radiation calculator? Huh. <laughs> yes. So you can, and it's like, I don't know, 30 questions or something. Huh. But you can calculate how much radiation you're exposed to and how much radon you're exposed to, which is actually pretty funny because how can they, I mean, like, right. okay, maybe it's a ballpark. But I think the idea is that the EPA just wants you to be afraid of what's out there. <laughs> uh, on on a side note, the the things that it asks you, like, uh, do you wear a wristwatch that glows in the dark? No do kidding. You uh, do you live in a stone brick or concrete building? <laughs> do you live within fifty miles of a nuke plant? Do you live within fifty miles of a coal plant? Uh, how many cigarettes do you smoke a day? Are you a radiation worker? I'm pretty sure that if you're a radiation worker, you need to be using something other than the EPA's website to calculate whether or not you're at risk. Uh, there is a how many miles do you travel by jetliner a year question. So, Jake, this is all sort of types of radiation. Yep. Yeah, interesting. But it also includes radon because it right. talks about where you live, which was pretty interesting. Uh, in case you were wondering, I am uh, exposed to 503 millirems of radiation a year. I knew that I was the problem. To... I knew that explains yep. a lot. But that's below the national average, actually. The aver national average is 620. Uh, and just for uh, argument's sake, the millirem conversation, I was trying to figure out a way to quantify that. Mm. And the example I found from uh, the United States Nuclear Regulatory Commission was one millirem is equivalent. You would get one millirem if you lived in Atlanta for three days, <laughs> Denver for two days, and I'm guessing that's an elevation closer yeah. to the sun yeah. sort of thing. Interesting. A year of watching television. <laughs> and I don't know if that means uh, 24-7, 365, or if that means like the standard American's it, input. And if it's bad television, it goes up or something? <laughs> yeah, or a year of wearing a glow-in-the-dark watch. Wow. So when we're talking about this, I think that we can assume that a, a, a millirem is uh, a small dose because it's not dangerous to live in Atlanta from a radiation standpoint. Yeah. But it's tough because the radon is a colorless, odorless, tasteless gas. I mean, that's it one of the sure things is. that makes it makes it tough. And so we can start by saying the code has a zonal map by county. It's uh, all, whatever that is, uh, what is it, 4,000, 3,000 counties in the United States. So there's a map of every single county in the United States and its uh, declaration according to a survey census of radon. So you can find that in the uh, ICC or the IRC. Uh, I think in IRC it's Appendix F for those of you that are nerdy and going to go and look this stuff up. And so in the but zones, was, Jake, the zone one is the highest yep, rating? which is... Uh, uh, double what zone two is. I'm not sure if I understand the rating system. Uh, it's like parts per, but it's not parts per million. It's something that I don't necessarily understand. And I don't have a problem admitting that it's high radon is yeah. what you should think of, <laughs> but it's, it's soil measurements. And yep. And so the difficulty is translating a concentration of radon in soil to what it might be in your house. Yep. And, and as we talk about every time, every house is completely different. Yeah. Yeah. So that's a hard line to draw there from A to B. So the code does what it always does. And it just goes, yep, it's going to be a problem. So let's, zone let's one is the highest and that then you're required to put in a radon system for that? Yeah. So the code reads that if you are in zone one, you have to put in a passive radon system. And if you are uh, zone two, I believe it just says recommended. And then zone three, it doesn't talk about it. The other distinction that we were just discussing is it's not just zone one. It's anywhere your municipality says you have to put it in, too. So I'm not on the zone one list. The county that I live in, Missouri, Boone County, is not on zone one. It's a zone two. However, 
we have passive radon uh, requirements in county and municipality. What about you, Steve, in Massachusetts? Um, we have radon requirements for every new house, I believe. Yeah. So you have zone one and zone two in Massachusetts, but but there's yeah. sort of an overriding uh, decision made by the what's interesting about massachusetts is where the mountains are in massachusetts it's zone two but the coastal region is zone one you would have thought it would have been the inverse yeah the radioactive decay is um you know i always associated it as being higher concentrations in granite areas but we have plenty of places that have sandy soils where the underlying geology must support um you know, has radon because radon's a breakdown gas from, you know, radioactive uranium in granite, primarily. Yeah, well, but you have to remember that it's it's not just the presence of radon; it's its ability to move through that soil. Mm. So it needs to be, you know, it's pervasive uh, or, or uh, you know, porous uh, soil or or aggregate. You know, when I went to work at the NHB Research Center in 93, um, they, the NHB Research Center had just completed work for HUD on radon. And when I talked to the engineer who headed up the study, he said, you know, Peter, you could have two houses right next to each other. Clearly, they're experiencing similar radon concentrations, but one house would be below the threshold limit without a radon system, and the other one would be above and he said, we just never could find a consistent pattern. Hence the reason that, you know, EPA says, hey, when in doubt, you know, install a radon Let's system. And you can't go just by uh, soil concentrations and maps because we don't completely understand how that gas works its way inside buildings or how it does at different rates. Hey, I, I, I like to tell a quick story. Can I tell a story, Steve, or is that kind of... Ooh, a Pete story. <laughs> I didn't know we were going to get a Pete story, did Yeah, I? go ahead. Well, <laughs> you know the way they discovered radons in buildings, there was oh, a... There was please a, do tell. <laughs> there was a nuclear worker uh, in a new plant that was under construction. There wasn't e- even any fuel in the building yet. And everybody wears a, you know, a jumpsuit with a dosimeter... And this one guy was constantly setting off the alarm as he checked out each day. And um, they said, where the hell are you going in this plant? We don't have any fuel in here. And he said, oh, this is my job. And so they eventually decided this guy's dosimeter must be getting triggered someplace outside of work. So they, they, they tracked him home. And, you know, and every day he took off his jumpsuit and put it on top of the clothes washer in the basement. And so they went to measure the radon concentration in that basement. And I think it was in like 2,000 picocuries per liter range, you know, just incredibly high. And until I think this was in the 80s, maybe seven. No, I I can't remember whether it was the 60s, 70s, 80s. But when this was first discovered. All those times blend together for you. (laughs) That's right. but but that's how they discovered it. They they we we didn't know to worry about radon concentrations inside buildings until that particular circumstance generated research. Um, and you know we measure pico curious per liter. Like what the hell? Pico means one trillionth. So a pico, you know, four pico curious per liter is four trillionths of a curie whatever the hell that is, right? Because I don't know how that compares to millirems, but it's per liter of air. And, you know, for once, for once, we got it's, it right. It's kind of like me being one trillionth of a millionaire. <laughs> yeah, that's very similar. Um, but for once, the U.S. uses metric, right? Pico Curies is not a American measurement, and liters are, you know... The the uh, what's I'm sorry the what's the system the international system I don't know but I'm just uh, so guess wallowing what, Eric, in the fact that you're confused that it, uh, it's entertaining <laughs> but 
So here we are using picocuries per liter and all the rest of the world uses becquerels per meter squared. And you know why they do that? I think they did it like, ah, we'll show those Americans. They think they've switched to the right units. We're still going to make it different. So for those of you who are outside the U.S. listening to this podcast, you probably measure becquerels per meter. There are 37 becquerels per meter squared in one picocuri per liter. So Please I, tell me you just knew that off the top of your no, head. No, I have to look it up each time. But I, I have had to, you know, I did some webinars in, for Canadian audience. Translate. Had to translate it. But anyway, pretty small amounts. So where do we go from there? <laughs> <laughs> That's why I started laughing because I could just see Steve shaking his head. Uh, well, let's. Let's since we started the conversation with what the code says, let's talk real quick uh, before we go any further about how the code uh, asks a builder to deal with it. So it's like there's five things. Do we want to play the guessing game, Steve? Do you want to guess those five things that the code says? I hate guessing games. Are they five of but your favorite anyway? things? Because then we can sing. Five of five of Steve things. Basics favorite things all about Radon. Isn't that sound of music? Is that where it comes from? Yeah. Five. Okay. All right. Well, you said it like, I'm just trying to catch up, man. <laughs> We've wow. had specific requests for uh, not letting Peter sing on the podcast, by the way. <laughs> oh, oh, well. You should have <laughs> let me know. Uh, okay. I'll, okay I'll, what I'll, are the, I'll, what I'll are the five parts? Five parts. Uh, bass, tenor. Oh, oh, no. You didn't mean, <laughs> oh, you meant five parts of the radon system. Uh, free draining gravel under the slab. Uh, I would yep. call it air permeable Ooh, or gas permeable if we're being or gas permeable very... there. Okay, and then how about we just work our way upwards from there? Um, you hmm. got to have like an impervious layer on top of that air permeable. I'm sorry, <laughs> gas permeable layer. The code calls for six mil poly minimum. Steve, we're two for five. Yep. Wow. We're on a roll. How about it has to be released above the roof line? It does say that. You skipped a layer through there, though. You didn't say we had to go in order. I you said just we'll said, what are the right five up. things? Do we need to... Okay, so we probably need a T down in the pipe underneath. But why can't it be an tree? L? Why can't it be an L? The code requires a T, and it requires two feet of length on each side of it. It also requires Dang. the pipe to be three inches. Since All right. One of well, I failed that size. once or twice because I've done L's before because the only place we could get it down is on that side of the house. Ah, yep. interesting. And we're bumping into the footing, so that's actually good to know. Um, There's one more measure that every system will have. Uh, well, I... Now I said that. No, not every system. Most do, systems. Do we have to wire in the attic in case we move from passive to active? There is a requirement for us to put in uh, power for a future fan so that you could have fan-assisted radon to depressurize that down there more fully. And the only thing that you guys missed is the... Uh, Vertical riser. Floor system. Floor what? System. The floor system. Uh, so, I mean, if you were going to do this in a crawl space, your 6 mil poly... Uh, potentially is enough. What about a vertical riser? No mention of that? Like minimum well, size? Well, you said through the roof. Yeah, but it should have some kind of size. What if guys the, did a like three-quarter inch condensate drain line? The code said, does say three-inch diameter pipe. Okay. See? Problems. So there you go. But well, sorry. He already I'm mentioned just that. trying to yeah, get to the bottom. Don't, hey, don't be sorry. Be informed. <laughs> so how might, as a builder... Besides that, how might I also uh, deal with radon inside a home from a uh, mechanical standpoint? Put the house on piers. That's mechanical? <laughs> well, it's a form of mechanical. <laughs> house it's like, on hate, it's like hate bad. Steve Don't morning. Let it it's like ground. hate Steve morning here. Hey, welcome. It it's the hate Steve show. Basis. Starring Pete and Jake. Watch as Pete and Jake come down on Steve today. Let's back up for a second. I would have top billing in that show because I... 
am willing to hate on you more. So, Jake, are you saying that we could use a system different than that sub slab no, depressurization? So I was kind of just leading towards the idea that when we put uh, ERVs in our houses, we ask our uh, tech to balance it so that the house operates under slight pressure, which has to also uh, cut down on the possible intrusion. Interesting. Hey, here, here's an interesting thought you guys will both, both appreciate, because we always talk about testing, validation, and all of that good good stuff. Has anybody out there ever done, or is it regular um, operating procedure to do a radon test prior to a whole house renovation or major construction so that you understand where you are versus, and then having it tested in the end? We've only, I've only done it once and it was because the client wanted it and it was an order of magnitude difference. Well, you're, you're not going to be surprised to hear this, Steve, but when we moved into our house, I immediately measured the radon level. Yeah, I'm not surprised. <laughs> but I did it. Did in, you measure it in picocuries or the other something square meters? Uh, picocuries per liter. Because the meter okay. I use yeah. uh, oh, reads so you're just out. you're anti-European now. I have to multiply by 37 Okay, for those folks. But anyway... So here's the funny thing is um, that um, no, I, the funny thing is is that as soon as you moved in, you tested. That's the funny thing. <laughs> so it was six picocuries per liter in the basement, and like two around two picocuries per liter on the living spaces above. But when we air sealed and insulated the basement, it went to thirteen picocuries per liter in the basement. So is that because you cut out you cut out all the natural leakage. That was letting it out. Well, you no, know, so, he cut out all the dilution, probably. Yeah, sorry, that's what I'm saying. Well, and that's the rub is that you know um, the Energy Center, Wisconsin, some years ago did a test of before and after radon measurements in homes that were being weatherized under the federal program, and about a third of the time after energy retrofits, the radon went up. A third of the time they went down, and about a third of the time they they stayed the same. And so we don't completely understand how radon moves through uh, slabs and concrete walls because I think in my case, when I insulated the basement, I didn't do anything to deal with the gas permeability of the slab, but I did you know, certainly slow down air leakage through the above grade portion of the walls. So... I think there's ways that you can um, get increase or decrease with weatherization. But the important thing is you probably ought to measure before and after, as Steve stated. So here's the here's the big question. Did you put in a passive system? Uh, no. The radon tech that we used um, said because you have a crawl space at a different level um, – I'm going to have a really tough time installing a sub-slab depressurization system um, because of the contribution of the crawl space. So this is interesting. He said, I'm going to install a heat recovery ventilator that just services your basement, which means oh, we're so just diluting uh, it in a different way. Right. And um, so the EP I don't think the EPA encourages solution by dilution as opposed to a sub-slab depressurization, but it is an acceptable form of radon mitigation. So, you know, I've continued to measure radon levels over the last 18 years in our house, and it is it is interesting to track because um, I was talking to Terry I would Brennan. love to see that spreadsheet, by the way. <laughs> um, I was talking to Terry Brennan about this because Terry Brennan did some of the testing with the Housing and Urban Development um, Agency, and they found that radon levels inside buildings responded to atmospheric pressure, which means that atmospheric pressure does have an impact on air pressures eight to 10 feet underground. They respond in a time lag, but they do respond. And I find radon levels in my home changing with how cold it is um, and 
uh, atmospheric pressure. And there is a delayed response, but it, my radon levels do respond to um, atmospheric conditions um, that change how much of that radon shows up inside my house. Um, so I dilute. That's interesting. I dilute. I have a three-speed HRV, and the guy told me just set it on high. That's 200 CFM, uh, and that'll keep you below four picocuries per liter. But what I do is I have the meter running in the basement, and I change it from there's three settings: 100 CFM, 150 CFM, and 200, and I run it at different speeds because I can. Assuming that you, uh, assuming that you uh, pass on before your wife, when you are no longer maintaining this house, do you think she'll just go, yeah, I'm moving? I don't want to deal <laughs> yeah, with the right. stuff that Peter said, did every day. Peter's got so many things jury-rigged. Um, <laughs> you know, I've thought about that because I was talking to a radon tech at the uh, B4 conference up in Wisconsin many years ago, and they said, A, we don't trust those electronic uh meters you know we find that you have to double check them against what's called an alpha tracker which is a different type of write-on test um and he said um we're nervous that the subslab depressurization systems uh homeowners don't mess with those but yeah. if you have an hrv in the basement They're idiot proof yeah but if you have an hrv Man, that system thing's loud i'm going to turn it off because i don't want to hear it today yeah. And then nobody turns it back on. Exactly. Ever. And an HRV also, um, it doesn't have the service life. Like he finds that they'll go back and no one's changed the filters. So everything's running perfectly, but the HRV is completely clogged. So it's down at, you know, something less than 100 CFM and the red on levels have gone up. So um, if you're using something like an HRV, it's just like anything else in your house. You have to maintain it. We also uh, slightly glazed over what the passive system does. Uh, you know, we just talked about diluting or running a house under pressure, positive pressure, so that there's less infiltration from outside. The The way the code uh, suggests you do it with a passive system, it's just a path of least resistance. It just gives the gas a place to escape where it's not going to be challenged. Uh, I feel like we kind of glazed over that and didn't really explain that. So I just wanted to make sure we... We covered that one. And so if you install a passive system and you can't get it below four picos per, four picocuries per liter, then you cut that pipe in the attic, right? And stick an inline fan in there and then plug it in and that sucks the gas out. So the active system, you know, is like a somebody sucking on a straw all the time at the top of your building to pull that gas out. So one of the things that I was uh, thinking of when I was looking at this too, uh, and, and I never actually read this section of the code before yesterday, uh, the power that it says that you should put there to be able to add the fan that you're talking about, both times you said it, you said it in the attic. But there's nothing in the code that says it has to be in the attic. It just says inline fan. Interesting. Yeah, it could be in a basement too. And so like... We have one going right now. The the attic won't be accessible, so we're putting it in the basement. And I had never thought about it as being in the basement until the project that uh, Steve and I are working on right now. And Guys, like, oh, it's are you ready for this? It's the difference between push and pull. Ah, uh, the Zen moment with Steve. We got it early today. There you go. And you do you think here. it? Uh, do you think it matters? I think if the um, pipe is sealed. I don't, I don't see how it matters. Yeah, I don't think it matters. So here's an interesting thing, too. How, why did we arrive at four picocuries per liter? I don't know. Ooh, but the, ooh, the attic, no, was, the attic is probably quieter, mm. especially yeah. if it's a vented attic, right? Sure. And if, and if the fan has any leakage or anything, at least you're leaking it into the ventilated attic, not into your basement, too. For sure. Good. Good so. call. I'm just going through the benefits of attic um, installation for also. If it's in the attic, no one's ever going to notice if it stops working. No. Yeah, you, you you think that they require some sort of you know indicator or an alarm or something, but um, so the the four people curious per liter. There's you're going to die. There there's nothing magical about it, but. 
when I was talking to that engineer at the research center, he said, when we installed the sub-slab depressurization active system, we we could only consistently pull it down to four picocuries per liter. So that number is not magic in terms of human health. It's just magic in terms of you, you, you're going to struggle across the country to get it below that four picocuries per liter um, with a with a system as designed that we described with those far, five parts. But the other thing is when 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 they first discovered the radon in homes, they did the there's only been one really longitudinal study, and that was in Iowa with farm wives. And the reason for that is because the the that was the largest population of people who spend a lot of time indoors and live in the same house from birth to old age. So they they targeted wow. Iowa farmhouses because farm wives because they spend, you know, traditionally in uh, you know, in the olden days more time inside the house than anybody else and they tended to be born and raised and continue to live in the same house and Iowa has high radon levels. So when we look at human health, Iowa is pretty much the only state in the United States that is all zone one. It's the only one that's just one zone. Huh. Every other state has multiple zones except for Iowa. So Jake, those numbers about radon being the second, you know, leading cause of lung cancer, lung cancer, that's largely based off of that Iowa study. Um, yeah, the uh, the thing that I saw was that uh, EPA says it's like 20,000 people a year die from lung cancer caused by radon in the United States. Yeah, and it's... Which is like, holy cow, how is this not a bigger conversation than than before? Well, and even when the, le- the legislation was written, it, it's written so that if you test, you must report. But when you sell a home, you know, the... You can't refuse to test if the buyer requests, but there's mm-hmm. nothing to say. I mean, nowadays every home inspector tells the client you you should do it. You should ask for a radon test, right? Um, and the other difficulty is that if it's part of a real estate transaction, then you do a three day test. Well, I can tell you, depending upon the three days that you pick, you're going to get very different numbers because it yep. changes so much with uh, atmospheric conditions. So, um, yeah. The, so should I test on a rainy day or not? Well, you, you know, in North country, you test on a day when there's mild conditions, because if there's no drive, then, you know, less radon is moving through the building. Um, and the, the, um, you know, there's three types of radiation, uh, alpha, it's what alpha, beta and gamma. And the gamma rays are the highest energy and have the most potential for damage, but they're blocked by like a piece of paper. And I'm sorry, no, the gamma rays are the most penetrating. Um, uh, But like an alpha particle, which is the radioactive component of radon gas, um, that's blocked by just about anything, including your skin. So you could say, well, why, why does radon only cause lung cancer? Well, it's because the only way that it's in a threat is inside when it gets to real sensitive tissues in your lungs um, because you're sucking it in. But they're big, they're big, slow particles compared to the other forms of radiation. So does wearing a mask, does wearing a mask decrease my radon intake? I bet it does. You would assume. Yeah. So it'll be interesting to see in the last year if there's a reduction in radon fatalities. Well, if people are wearing their masks in their homes or where they're spending a lot of time, which is also interesting because uh, what about radon requirements in non-single family detached homes? Like, let's say you're a landlord, right? And... What responsibility do you have to test for radon because you have people living in your house that, you know, aren't family? Or what about schools? 
So it turns out that um, rental situations vary from state to state, and so do schools. So some states, you've got to test and uh, control for radon. In some states, there are no rules. Um, and the same same for if you're a uh, a landlord. If a tenant well, comes up I'm to you and says, after we get done, if a tenant comes up to you and says, "Hey, what what are the radon levels in my home?" It varies from state to state as to what the landlord or landlady is required. Is to required. Do. Yeah. The only thing that's national is um, your your own home. Interesting. Now I'm just picturing the uh, small uh, independent school that my kids go to and the rubble foundation that's underneath the <laughs> that I hadn't considered at all. Oops. Uh, let's talk about, uh, and, and this one doesn't have to be a guessing game unless Steve wants it to be. Let's talk about like the simple ways that we get uh, radon through uh, a slab, you know, built just prior to the radon rules coming into the code. Uh, besides just it diffusing around the edges of a concrete slab that was poured up against concrete walls in a basement, uh, you could have control joints that then crack, mm. that then you have extra cracks in your foundation. Uh, you could have uh, pipe penetrations going through that aren't detailed well. You could have like a uh, uh, to-daylight, floor drain in the basement or something like that 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 picks up soil gas uh the one that i always thought of and i think it's because i feel like i could always smell it is the tub box that two by four box that every plumber uses to get his plumbing close to where the tub's gonna go mm. that never got filled in for decades and decades and was just open to soil so you mean in a slab on grade jake no, and I mean that's how we did it in basements forever too. Oh, interesting. Is they just do a two by four, uh, one foot square knockout in the concrete yeah. in the basement and fill it with gravel, and you know, and then they dig the gravel out and get to the pipe, connect the tub, and then shove the gravel back down in there, and you were effectively connecting anything under the slab to that. Uh, Odie, by the way, makes the flashing company makes a. Uh, plastic box pour in place box for that now that's a fantastic solution as well cool um i was thinking some pump lids because you know some of those are designed to be gas tight and some aren't most aren't yeah most aren't so that's a pretty <laughs> well and good luck getting your your sump pump pit detailed to the slab right so that it doesn't have leakage around it too yeah which also brings up the issue of radon in water which my understanding is that's way less of a threat, but there are some places where the concentration of radon gas in water is um, significant. It's it's much less of an issue, but it still is an issue for those people that's... who are digging wells. <laughs> <laughs> you should be more afraid of uh, stingrays and sharks instead. So, Steve, when you are designing a house, how... You know, I know that you plan for all types of mechanical considerations. How often is it a challenge or is it just pretty easy to throw it through a chase that's gone top? It's actually pretty easy because I just what I typically do is I just take the different um, floor plans, basement, first, second, you know, on a two story house. Single story is real easy, but two story house. And I just copy the plans over to the side and I change each one to a different color. So. You know, it might be white basement, red first floor, and green second floor. Hmm. And then I just superimpose them and register them on top of each other and look. I mean, you could look at the plans and say, okay, somewhere over here is, here's a closet. Here's this going up through the second floor. Maybe just thicken that wall to a two-by-six wall and we can snake it in. But um, if I'm doing a new house, I, I have the radon vent typically on the basement plan and I have it dimensioned. So you mentioned that one time you had to do an L. So generally you're looking to put that chase in the middle of the building. I'm trying to get it in the middle of the house, but, but that sometimes with these, you know, gymnasium open floor plans, there is no yeah. wall or anything in the middle of the house. 
I thought about just running it up through the living room, painting it black, and having it more as a sculptural element. <laughs> How did that work? Make a soffit yeah. come over to it so it looks no, like a nobody's bought into that idea yet. Um, nobody's bought into that idea yet. And and on retrofits, if we do a significant retrofit, I'll call to crack the slab and put a eight foot pipe in and tee it up and run it up through. Especially if the like your house, if the um, retrofit was like rehabbing the basement and fully insulating mm-hmm. it to a livable level and stuff like that. We, we add a radon vent for sure. Yeah. I mean, if also you- from a design standpoint, you're not putting duct work below slabs or in crawl spaces that are connected to soil gas. Correct. I have never put a piece of duct work under the slab. Are you thinking about that to make sure that that was a true statement? I am thinking. You're looking up, going, and it's mm, uh, it wasn't ductwork. The one time we did it, it was a sl- it was an elevated slab on grade house, but we we did an air intake for the fireplace mm. below the slab level. But Jake, that's a good catch. All the Levitt townhomes, you know, in you know the mid Atlantic states were slab on grade with. Uh, four stair ducts in the slab. My house is my original house had. Oh, I that's went right. Your f- original house is slab on grade. I forgot that. Yeah, and and it was all ductwork underneath. It was an elevated slab, and all the ductwork was underneath. I when I retrofitted the floor, and that's that first time I actually did the uh, double layer plywood over foam. <laughs> kind of what we did at Matt's house. I I did that back in ninety, like ninety eight. Something like that hmm. with uh, Joe helped me out on that detail. So, um, but uh, I went around and took all the registers, packed them with uh, EPS, and then foam sealed the EPS in all the registers before we put the foam across the top of the slab and retrofitted and so it. That I mean, basically, we are getting back to that point that we always talk about. Uh, keep the things that are inside the envelope inside the envelope and keep the things that should be outside outside. And so we're talking about control yet again. Yeah. One one of the interesting things about radon too, is I I know we had talked about it. It's, you know, local municipality and stuff. When you look on the map, obviously there's places that seem, you know, like, like Iowa or North, actually North Dakota is another state where it is all zone one. But there's other states that are predominantly zone three, and I've actually had a couple people call me um, in zone three and say, hey, we have a house here that has a radon problem. How do you typically deal with it? Oh, that's and interesting. So, so there are pockets of it around. So I, I guess my my point here is is just because you might live in – you know, Central Florida or Central Texas or Northern California in Zone One, don't think that there isn't the potential for a problem. Yeah, because there is. Yeah. But and this one was hinging on someone buying the house. The levels that were tested were so high that that it was a new house that was getting sold like two or three years later, and the new homeowners had it tested, mm-hmm. and it was. It was high, so the builder had to then come in and retrofit a system. Yeah, man, retrofit is a pain and expensive compared to doing it right at, yeah. the, at construction. Yeah, I mean, I'm doing a project in Texas right now, and it's a series of grade beams. The uh, foundation guy looked at me like I had four heads when I showed him, because I have a bunch of... Uh, perforated transfer pipes that can because it, it's like a 3000 3500 square foot slab but it's broken down into probably eight pockets hmm. of like 400 square feet because of the grade beams yeah so if i put a radon vent in these two then the other six aren't getting treated so hmm. we actually put in pipes that they poured the grade beam around so that we can get some lateral transfer through the whole system interesting 
And so you have a single vertical chase or riser? We actually have two because it's a ranch plan and mm-hmm. it's you know spread out that those two pipes are probably about 60 feet away from each other. And that was that you making that design decision? Did you talk with your client about it or Um well I talked with them but it's you know things like that the talk goes something like you know I'm going to put two radon vents in one over here and one over there so when you see these you know pipes coming up through the slab you know what they are. Yeah. And that's the end of the conversation. Yeah, so they're trusting your judgment as a high-performance architect. Cool. Well, it's that don't let the tail wag the dog thing. Yeah, yeah. I think there's, and I I just decided to look, and I'm going to speak without looking like I normally Well, it's good that you're starting to make decisions, Jake. (laughs) I think that the code also calls out for it to be labeled, by the way. I think it's supposed to say radon on the pipe. Oh, interesting. So that people don't dump sewer into it at some point during a remodel. When you get them professionally installed, meaning like there's companies that'll come out and retrofit, not meaning that like a plumber isn't professional, but what I'm saying is here in New England, if you have a radon, you can get it tested and then they come in and they put it and there's a little meter or gauge on the Mm -hmm. outside so you can see it. But they actually do have the label that says radon vent and it has an arrow for direction of flow and all of that stuff. So Our plumbers install for us at rough end so that it's just one, uh, you know, at at groundwork so that it's just one contractor taking care of that and actually... I have, uh, and Peter, I don't know if you know this, I have a new carpenter to my crew, Sydney. She's 18 or 19 years old. She's mm. very green. This is her first job in construction. And uh, at the house Steve and I have going right now, the Hilltop house, Steve the plumber is probably in his late 50s, maybe mid 50s. Uh, very cocky, very uh, a very good plumber too, mm-hmm. uh, deservedly so with the cockiness on, on his knowledge of plumbing. And uh, Sydney walked in and went, that one's not radon. That one's the sewer. I was like, how do you know? She was like, well, if you go down to the basement where that pipe goes through, it says radon. (laughs) And where that pipe goes through, it goes over and dumps into the sewer. And I was just like, that's fantastic. I love it when the newest person on the site catches the person who probably has the most experience about anybody making a mistake and he's and he i'm like hey the only problem that we had in the house was that the radons labeled incorrectly and he's like oh bs bs <laughs> i was like well let's go take a look at it and he does that marching thing and i was just like yeah and he's like well that's a good catch and i was like oh what me have said he's like oh wow crap <laughs> i love it when plumbers say crap yeah <laughs> so what else do we need to know for our uh for our radon discussion, what have we missed? Anything? No, I think, you know, the good news is there's really good resources on the EPA's website in terms of the national map by county and then how to design mitigation systems for new construction and retrofit. So it's a pretty it's a pretty well laid out system at this point. I think that for the longest time... Uh even at the beginning of the radon stuff, uh, I kind of felt like it was a, a BS thing. I remember one of my uh, plumbers saying, ah, that's rich white people problems. They don't have that kind of thing in Mexico. Like, ain't nobody in Mexico worried about radon. And I kind of felt the same way for the longest time. It's odorless. It's tasteless. It, you know, oh, well, it causes lung cancer. But it causes lung cancer more prevalently in people that already smoke. And so there's like a whole bunch of stuff when I first or learned about it. Or if you're an Iowa did. farm Wife. Yeah, housewife. I just wasn't uh, convinced. But the second you start looking into it, you're like, oh, this is uh, something that we should take very seriously and that we should be very concerned with the houses that we're building. I mean, we talk nonstop about indoor air quality. Yeah. Well, look what it did to Peter's factor. basement. I mean, that's testament to if you're building a high-performance home, it's something that you yeah, obviously need worse. to be more concerned about than – not. Well, and, sure. and the other thing, too, is there are people that question the medical studies because there, it's not like we have, you know, reams and reams and reams of data, especially at these very low levels, right? I mean, we, we know about cancer when the levels are quite a bit higher, but extrapolating that down to the lower ones. But the, the question is, why would you mess with this? If you can relatively easily and cheaply uh, control it, manage it, why, why wouldn't you do that? What's actually exactly where I was headed, Peter. I'm already putting in 
four inches of gravel under my concrete slab. I'm already putting in six mil poly as a vapor barrier. Yeah. I'm already go. detailing things to not have uh, the funky soil smell in my basement. Anyway. And you already hired a grumpy plumber. And I already have a grumpy plumber on site. <laughs> so it's not like he's going to get grumpier. Yeah, exactly. So all we've added really is one future outlet, an electrical drop, one roof penetration, and some three-inch pipe, and, you know, two hours worth of my plumber's time. Uh, and a guaranteed no problem at resale to your client. Because yep. if they discover later, it doesn't matter whether you believe it or not, it's the law. If you discover it later, we know that the retro systems are way more expensive than getting it right the first time. So, Hence why there's an entire industry of trucks that say, rate on mitigation and... Missouri radon specialists and those sorts of things because yeah. it's a pain in the butt and there's money. A in Missouri radon specialist. I think that I think that that's one of the local ones. It might be Missouri radon or something of the sort. Uh, but anytime that you can, you you see a truck with the, with the problem labeled on it, you can guarantee that there's a more expensive way to fix it. And Jake, I just want to reinforce. You start off by saying that radon is a gas, and it. I have never had so much fun as this session. It's a gas, man. Yeah, thrilling. <laughs> and there's our podcast for today. <laughs> I wanted to say thank you guys for listening. Don't forget you can email us, questions at unbuilditpodcast.com. Please subscribe to the podcast. By doing so, it automatically downloads and it gives us a sense the day we publish, we can get a better view of how many listeners we have. The podcast is continuing to grow. We're very grateful for you, uh, for you listeners out there in the internet world. Here, and here. Uh, please, I think every subscriber should make it their duty over the course of the next seven days to get a minimum of one new subscriber, but potentially two added to the list. So. I agree. That would be fantastic. And then don't forget to go to iTunes and leave us a five-star review. That helps other people find it organically. The higher the rating we have, the more downloads we have, the more likely other people will find it organically and not just through us promoting it or promoting it on Instagram. So tell a friend, leave a review, I hate that word, subscribe. By the way. What word? The Organically. I just hate no. it. Organically? Yeah. Just it's. I don't know. It's, it's so okay. widely used and... It is. I don't, yeah. I don't, I don't like it as a reference. To us. Yeah, I know. So I just they hate get it. to hear this. I hate organically. If I've never heard it again in my life, I would be probably a pretty happy guy. You've just said <laughs> it a bunch of times. I wasn't even thinking yeah, about it. Yeah, you did. You said it more times than I said it. <laughs> well, that's because I had to make reference to, to it. Okay. Thank you for listening to the podcast. I have a disdain for it. <laughs> Cut his mic. <laughs> What an organic ending to the podcast. <laughs> Have a good day. See you guys.